One in five Australians will experience a mental illness at some point in their life. Yet we're still not talking openly about mental health, at home, in the workplace, or as a society. Welcome to Spinning the Yarn, a podcast aimed at destigmatizing mental health by speaking to those who've been through it. I'm your host, Fran Magira. Welcome back to Spinning the Yarn. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Emily, a mum of one who, outside of her day job, is also a volunteer community ambassador for Are You OK, an Australian non-for-profit suicide prevention organisation. We'll be talking at length about suicide, so please take the necessary measures to look after your own mental health before, during and after listening. Relevant support services and contact numbers are listed in the show notes. So, Emily, if you'd like to introduce yourself and to me a bit about yourself. My name is Emily and I work as a marketing manager. So, you're also working for Are You OK? Tell me a bit about who they are, what they do and what you do with them. Well, I recently became a, a community ambassador for Are You OK? because I'm passionate about normalizing the conversation around mental well-being and suicide prevention. I love sharing the Are You OK? story because it plays such a positive and important role in that space. Their message is very simple. Um, Are You OK? is a charity whose main message is that a conversation can change a life. It's a very simple yet powerful message and the beauty of it all is that we can all make a difference in someone's life by reaching out to someone and asking a simple question, are you okay? What does um, your role there look like? Like what do your tasks involve? Well, as a community ambassador, I get to do presentation and talks, mainly in workplaces. Uh, so I focus in doing talks in businesses or organizations. So I, I share the Are You OK story and I educate people on how to trust their gut instinct because it's all about that. Trusting your instinct is so important. If you notice that something's not quite right, if you're worried about, in that case, someone you work with, it's all about picking up on those signs that someone might not be their usual self so that you reach out to them and you have that conversation. So as part of the talks, do you guys give the audience ways that they can start this conversation? Absolutely. That's what I really love about Are You OK? is that the information that they provide to everyone is is laid out in a way that is concise and very clear for anyone to understand. And the four steps to having an Are You OK? conversations are summed up by the acronym ALEC. A-L-E-C. So that stands for ask, so asking are you okay? Listen, which is all about listening without judgment, Mm -hmm. which sounds easy, but it's not always that simple. Yeah. Encourage action, Mm -hmm. so coming forward with proactive solutions. And last but not least, checking. Okay. Checking in is possibly the most important step of them all. So... I educate people on what the four steps are mm-hmm. and the, as I was saying, the beauty of it all is that you don't need to be an expert to have that conversation. You don't need to be a psychologist, 
to quote the Urban Dictionary, you do you. <laughs> so mm-hmm. anyone can do it. Anyone can reach out to someone. Okay. I noticed you're wearing the Are You Okay bracelet. Do you find that that's a good sort of conversation starter around mental health when people see it? Definitely. So Are You Okay has been very successful in, in raising awareness for um, mental health and they've got about 80% awareness in marketing terms that it for a brand that's extremely high, mm-hmm. which means that 80% of the Australian population have heard of Are You Okay? It doesn't mean they're necessarily well-versed in what the message is, but mm-hmm. they know of the charity. And whenever I'm out shopping or even if I'm at work, people will comment or I'm at a meeting, people will comment on the bracelet and mm. ask questions, which is a, such a simple thing to do, but I find it quite effective. Yeah. And I think it's something that's still subtle. It's not like, you know, you're wearing a company T-shirt or something that's in people's faces, but it is effective enough because it's yellow and people associate that with the, they've got like a smiley face logo. Uh, Yeah, it is really effective. And like you said, their brand awareness is very high. I think most people would know what Are You OK is. And I think that's a testament to the founder of Are You OK? So Are You OK was founded by, by Australian Gavin Larkin. Mm-hmm. Um, Gavin lost his father to suicide back in 1995 and it really devastated his family and he wanted to do something that would ensure that no other family has to go through what his family went through. Mm-hmm. So he started Are You OK? and his vision was to create a world where everyone feels connected mm-hmm. and supported from suicide and Gavin was a marketer and oh, you can okay. tell... Mm-hmm. Because the key principles of the REOK charity are really well thought through from a marketing point of view. Mm. Um, even the tagline itself, a conversation can change a life, is so simple, very effective slogan. Yeah, and I think the aims have definitely been achieved for the most part. I mean, now we're finally at um, a time in society where we are talking about mental health. So I can't imagine what it would have been like in the 1990s it would have been a huge taboo. So I think society and Are You OK have come leaps and bounds in terms of destigmatizing mental health. Absolutely. And what's different about Are You OK as well is that they target the help giver, not the person mm. who's struggling. So if you think of other organizations like Lifeline or Beyond Blue, they target the person who's struggling and they do a really good job mm. at that. But the onus is on the individual too take care of their situation exactly Mm. whereas are you okay wants us all to to feel connected with people around us Mm. so that the people around us feel supported long before they even reach that crisis point long before they even think about suicide Mm. that's extremely important for sure let's dive in i guess so what is your personal experience with mental illness which led you to become an ambassador for are you okay Well, like too many Australians, my family was affected by suicide when my father took his life almost 15 years ago. Needless to say, this completely devastated our family and it turned my world upside down. That being said, I've always actively searched for meaningful ways where I could create something positive out of something so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And it's something that 
people who've experienced sudden loss can often relate to that need to find a new purpose to their life. Mm -hmm. That's why I feel such a strong connection to Are You Okay? So that allows me to to spread that message and if I can make a difference in any way. So becoming involved in Are You Okay, did you reach out to them or...? Well, I happened to do a bit of work with them through my company, the company that I work for, Mm -hmm. Um, and I found out about the ambassador program, and I thought, oh, this is something that, um, where I could contribute. I Mm. I happen to love public speaking. Ah, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people would say the opposite. (laughs) Exactly. So Mm -hmm. I thought, why not put my public speaking skills to good use? And turn that, you know, that pain inside and grief into something that can benefit others positively. Exactly, mm. and you're, you're just touching on grief. Now, I'm almost 15 years down the track, mm-hmm. and I can definitely say that grief always stays with you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no such thing as moving on from grief, which is something we mm. often hear. It's more about learning how to live with it and how to yeah. cope with it. It's something that still affects me and always will, mm. but I am at a point now where live with it I know mm-hmm. what the signs are but and I and I, I can hopefully help others through their journey mm. grief is such a unique thing as well like not many people experience it at a young age so not many people know how to react or yeah how to get on with your life I guess so what was the impact of the loss of your father on you and your family members especially going back 15 years when there was virtually no conversation about mental health or suicide? Yes, it was extremely hard. I'm lucky that I have a very close-knit family. Um, I have three younger sisters. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, at the time of my father's passing, I was living interstate. Right. So I was quite isolated. Like, I obviously flew home as soon as I found out. Mm -hmm. But... At the end of the day, I only had two weeks off, mm-hmm. and then I had to fly back to where I was living and working, and I suddenly found myself extremely alone and isolated. Mm-hmm. And over the years, like a, a few years in, I was really struggling to cope, and I ended up moving to Australia. And with mm-hmm. hindsight now, I can understand why I made that move, mm-hmm. but it, it was simply because it was so difficult for me to cope that I thought, you know what, the space station wasn't available back then, so I couldn't go there, but I thought I'll mm. move. Across really, the world. Across <laughs> the world. Yeah. And one of the reasons was also that by moving to a completely new country where no one knew me, no one knew mm. my story as well. Yeah. So I didn't have to tell it. Yeah. Um, so that's the benefit of hindsight. But, mm. yes, it, it was very difficult. And, I mean, did you guys as a family sort of understand much about mental health at that point in time? Not at all. So, for us girls, I can honestly say, hand on my heart, it was a complete blindside. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of suicides are complete blindsides, mm. which complicates the grieving process as well. Yeah. My mother explained that she had seen some of the signs because throughout his life, my father had struggled with mental illness, Mm -hmm. but 
for us girls, we hadn't known that version of him. Mm-hmm. So and you guys were, sorry, you guys were young at the time, right? You, oh. Well, yes. Yeah, so we were all in our early 20s. Okay. Uh, well, we, I, w- I must explain that the four of us girls were born four and a half years, within four and a half years. So we're quite right. close in age. Mm-hmm. So I was... 25 at the time and the youngest right. one would have been you know just turning 20 so I guess there's never a good time no. to, to lose a parent but yeah it did it did shake our foundations luckily it didn't break us as a family mm-hmm. because I hear that sadly it can happen mm. um, luckily like we we're still very strong today and if mm. anything it has strengthened our bond so, like you said, um, it was a complete blind sign and a shock. And that is because a lot of mental health is hidden, largely due to stigma and a lack of understanding from those around us, from anyone really, unless you know someone else going through mental health, which you wouldn't because nobody talks about it. How can we reach out to those around us to prevent suicide? Well, I mentioned earlier that RUK does a lot of work in targeting the greater community so that we take in upon ourselves to reach out to people around us, whereas, you know, whether it's a loved one, friend, a colleague, your neighbor. And the role of RUK is to empower everyone in the community to have the skills and the confidence to have those conversations. If I can give you an example, so after I lost my father I went back to work and everything seemed like it was back to normal and even though all my colleagues knew what had just happened to Mm. me um, no one actually reached out to me and it took me a while to understand and now I can see that it's because they probably didn't know how they felt really awkward Mm. or they didn't have the skills or the confidence Mm -hmm. that I was just talking about so Yes, the reality is that it can be awkward to have those conversations, Mm. but it's about putting that pride aside and just trusting your gut, as I was saying earlier. Just have that conversation. It doesn't matter if you don't feel comfortable, you feel like you won't say the right thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Just trust your instinct and ask a simple question like, how are you going? Are you okay? You know? Yeah. So I want to talk about some of the statistics surrounding men's mental health in particular. We know that men don't speak out as often, especially amongst themselves. And because of that, the suicide rate amongst men is particularly high, especially in young men. And that's why we've got initiatives like Movember and things like that aimed at starting the conversation amongst young men in order to lower these statistics. Why do you think this is so? I mean, obviously we've talked about men don't share their feelings, but... Mm. I guess, yeah. Yes, well, just on the topic of statistics, the statistics are are, are quite, the numbers are quite staggering because Mm. the latest numbers show us that every single day in Australia, eight people will die by suicide. Eight every day. That's more than I thought it was. Yeah, which is almost double the road toll. Mm. And if you think about it, we always hear about the road toll because it's very newsworthy. Yeah. Grabs people's attention. Whereas, obviously, talking about suicide doesn't have the same effect. 
Mm. in the media so we tend not to talk about it now you're talking about male suicide well sadly male suicides are three times higher than female suicides Mm. which is concerning yeah now in recent years there's been a lot of leadway in terms of raising awareness Mm. uh, of mental health and suicide prevention which is amazing Mm. But there's still a lot of work to be done to break through that barrier. Like a yeah. lot of men sadly feel as though it, it is a weakness to come forward. And I think in the Australian culture especially, traditionally it is male-dominated, if I can mm. express it that way. Yeah. So I come from the French part of Canada, which is a matriarchal society that's very uh, specific to the French side of of Canada Um, and I really noticed the difference whereas Australia tends to be yeah the larrikin bloke and the hard yakker and yeah yeah and that old saying oh you know you'll be all right well sometimes you're not okay and that's Mm -hmm. perfectly okay yeah but I guess that that culture of being tough and like getting on with it yes. <laughs> yeah does are you okay have anything uh like particularly male focused where it's like how you can talk to your friends as a man about how you're feeling yeah the beauty of the are you okay charity is that they designed programs so to speak that target mm-hmm. different types of people and different industries for example they have the mateship manual that's targeting people who live on the land so farmers Mm -hmm. and people who live in isolated communities Um, something that they can leave in the glove box compartment because they do a lot of driving yeah um so it's something that's not so obvious not Mm -hmm. so in your face but they know they can refer to it if they want to reach out there's also a program targeting uh, flying fly out workers okay which tend to be male dominated so we touched on it briefly before about stigma. Why do you think there is still such a stigma in society regarding mental health? I think stigma stems from ignorance. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. There's a lot of ignorance and misconceptions around mental health, mm-hmm. around what it is and what mm-hmm. it isn't. So somehow mental health issues are seen as weaknesses. Mm. Or something I've heard a lot over the years is that people who suffer from depression or people who die by suicide are selfish. And it couldn't be further from the truth. I think a good analogy here is that if someone was suffering from cancer, you wouldn't label them as selfish Hmm. or suffering in that way. And I think it's the same... um, in the case of, of mental health and mental health issues, there's nothing weak about it. It's it's a medical condition, just like other medical conditions, and it needs to be treated as such and needs to be perceived as such. Mm. And the best way to combat ignorance and stigma as well is education. We're doing a lot more than we used to in that respect, but there's still a long way to go. Mm. more and more people get educated about it, that's how mindsets are going to change. Yeah, I think with suicide in particular, a phrase that I've often heard in 
media, and I'm not sure if this is limited to prison, because this is where I've heard it in, like, true crime cases where they say if, you know, an inmate hangs himself in their cell, it's known as the coward's way out. It is something that is heavily stigmatised, like you said, from lack of understanding. Yes, absolutely. I think the the analogy you've used applies to, sadly, to a lot of people who, who die by suicide. And that's what makes suicide grief so complex, because you have all those extra layers to it. So not only are you dealing with the sudden loss of a loved one, but you have to deal with the guilt, the shame, and those feelings are feelings that naturally arrive because of the stigma that society places upon that. And that, that complicates the grieving process enormously. On a more positive note, I would like to share an analogy that sits more on the positive side. So yeah. I once heard suicide being described as cancer of the soul. I thought that was a very good analogy. Because when when you lose someone to suicide and you become essentially a suicide survivor, you, you try desperately to rationalize what's happened. Mm. you're forever asking questions yeah. and looking for answers and that's I think like a beautiful way to rationalize that mm. so I want to talk about terminology so firstly let's talk about the term suicide survivor let's explain that yeah so the term suicide survivor is used to describe anyone who who's lost someone to suicide anyone who's lost a loved one it could be a friend family member, a loved one, to suicide. And the, the word survivor is interesting here. I was talking about how complex suicide grief can be. And and it is because you feel as if you're surviving, you, in, in, you know, in the weeks, the months mm. uh, following the death of someone, a close one to suicide, you yourself are struggling mm. to to survive yourself, you're, tr- yeah. you're struggling to make sense of what happened, struggling to make sense of your own life. Nothing will ever be the same. And so you, you're grieving not just the loss of your loved one, but the loss of your old life. And you also grieve the loss of friendship. Unfortunately, that's when you discover who your true friends are. And yeah. people you thought were your friends who might not actually is it confusing because what term do we then use for people who have made attempts on their own life and have survived that's a good question so i believe we refer to them as people who survived a suicide attempt okay because yeah i'm i wonder if people when talking about their experience refer to themselves as a suicide survivor not knowing that that actually means something else Yes, potentially. Like I, I was also confused by that at mm. first. What happened in my case? So I mentioned that I, I lost my father almost fifteen years ago, but mm. I didn't join a suicide survivor group until two years ago. Right. Um. So it took me quite a while to make that step. And I wish I had done that much earlier because it was so beneficial for my mental health to meet 
people who have gone through a very similar thing mm. for all those years I literally felt like I was an alien walking through life going I'm sure there's people out there who can relate to what I'm going through but I don't know who they are I don't know where they are and I don't mm-hmm. know how to reach out to them and so that was because those services weren't available to you at the time or where you were or to tell you the truth I thought they were so hard to find mm-hmm. and I'm really well versed in do you know what I mean like I yeah. know how to do a search online mm. I called Lifeline, I called Beyond Blue, mm-hmm. I searched online and it took me a, a good while to find a local group mm. and I'm and I so think, glad I did. Like you said as well, those services are as great as they are and more geared towards the person suffering from mental illness themselves rather than family members or friends. Yes, absolutely. And it, you know, you would think that it would be easier to find such resources. Mm. And I'm on a, on a similar note, so I read that in the States they're campaigning to set up an emergency number specifically for suicide. So in the States you have 911 yep. for emergency services, and they're campaigning for a number that would be specific to people who are at a crisis point. Do you know if we have anything similar like that in Australia, like a crisis hotline? Well, in Australia, the closest to it would be Lifeline. Mm-hmm. The number is relatively short. Yeah. 13, 11, 14, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, but it's yeah, the idea to shorten this even further to a mm-hmm. three-digit number. Yeah. Because when someone's in crisis, I think it can actually make a big difference. Mm. I think associations as well. I speak for myself, but I don't associate Lifeline as an emergency number as much as I would triple zero, of course. No, mm. no, you're right. So having that distinction, I think, yeah, it would be vastly beneficial. So that's good to hear. Mm. Going back to terminology and stigma as well, is there a polite or correct way to refer to suicide? Because I know that Amongst young people, a lot of young people would casually use the phrase neck myself, like in referring to, in the same way that a lot of people who, you know, just aren't sensitive to mental health would use terms like, oh, I've got PTSD from this event, when they don't obviously have diagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder. So I guess my question is, is there a correct way, like, I noticed you say death by suicide rather than taking their own life. Like, is there a proper way to speak about it? That's a very good point that you raise. So common terminology is to say someone died by suicide rather than saying someone committed suicide. Okay. And the reason for this is that the word committed can have that negative meaning Mm -hmm. in the sense that you committed something and the word committed is also used to say someone committed murder mm-hmm. or so it has got that it's got that responsibility onus as well yes, they it, brought it upon themselves exactly mm. it puts the ownership on the person who died when mm. in reality it, it is such a complex um phenomenon like it i mean i i've never been to that point mm. where i obviously wanted to take my own life but it is such a complex situation um, and I guess the idea is to take the ownership away from the person who who 
dies, it mm. takes their life because in that state where they're at, in that crisis state, they're not actually in control of their action to, mm. to some degree. It's interesting because it saying death by suicide equalises it as well because all deaths have a cause, obviously, and so that just, you know, makes it a practical way of saying it. Yes, I mm. think it softens it a lot. Mm. And using the right terminology is also part of reducing the stigma. Mm. And anything like that I find um, very helpful. Mm. And to your point earlier about people making comments. Um, I mean, I guess there, there's always yeah. going to be insensitivity surrounding that. But I guess yeah, it comes back to educating people and calling your friends out on it as well. I think if they are using, you know, inappropriate phrases yes absolutely there's a way to do that but I think you do have to to call call your friends uh, uh, you know upon it so for example if someone says oh I had such a bad day I just want to kill myself Mm. well actually let's not be hyperbolic about Mm -hmm. it like let's take a step back and be sensitive about um how it can affect other people is that something you've experienced when it happened and sort of growing up after that, when you met people, even just friends, acquaintances, and they used a phrase like that, even just, you know, texting or something? Is that something that you experienced a lot? Yes, I've experienced it a lot. Now, unfortunately, I don't think I was always brave enough yeah. to call people out on it. Whereas now that I... I'm in that position as a community ambassador to share a story and pe- about our year came. People know that. I feel that I might be more inclined to point it out. Like, I'll point it out in a gentle way, mm-hmm. in a compassionate way as well. Because yep. at the end of the day, if the person is not aware of it, I mean, it's they're not doing this to cause harm. Mm. But I think, yeah, they should be, they should be told. Yeah. So leading on from that, have you been personally affected by stigma either in your own life or through your work for Are You Okay? Well, I would say that I was affected by stigma um, dealing with the death of my father and the element of shame that I spoke about. So the shame that's attached to, to suicide. So suicide is sometimes perceived as a character flaw in the person that that died or what happens is you see it as a character flaw in yourself Mm. so my dad died by suicide there was something wrong with him it is shameful Mm -hmm. without necessarily even articulating that to myself that's what it comes down to Mm -hmm. and it's deplorable because there's nothing shameful about it and it would help a lot of people dealing through their grief if they could remove that layer of, of shame and mm. guilt. I think that comes down to ignorance. And unfortunately, I received a lot of, I'll call them toxic comments from toxic people. Mm-hmm. You know, a few days after my father passed away, um, a friend of our family said, and you didn't do anything. Gosh. So that's something that's, you know, terribly hurtful, mm. and you know, you would think, "Oh my gosh, I would never say something like that to someone who's bereaved or just mm-hmm. lost someone to suicide." But you, you just never know what you're going to be hit by. 
And I just feel sorry that there's people every day who have to deal with comments like that because I'm Mm. sure those comments are still around. And that's why I'm so passionate about educating people about the topic of suicide. One of the things I talk about in my presentations is the fact that we all go through life's ups and downs. Mm. We all go through that in different ways. And the reality is that we tend to hear, oh, that's just life, you know, toughen up, Mm. move on. Yes, of course it's part of life, but it it doesn't mean it makes it easy. Mm. And recognising that these things can be challenging and can be hard to deal with. There's nothing wrong with admitting that you're having a tough time. Mm. And that's why I talk about the importance of looking after the people you work with because you spend... You spend most of your time at work, whether we like it or not. (laughs) That's the reality of life. So we spend most of our time with our colleagues. So if something's wrong, we might be actually in a better position to note it. But the reality is that we might also be more inclined to shy away from reaching out to our colleagues Mm. because we'll be like, oh, surely they've got someone at home or they've got Netflix or whatever. Mm -mm. They'll be fine. But it's not always the case. So, yeah, we've sort of touched on this as well, but how how can we as a society overcome stigma? This all comes down to education. And education starts at a very very young age. Um, It starts at school, but it starts at home as well. So the, the language that we use at home with our friends, our family, members or children is extremely important so educating ourselves on mental health and the language that we should be using and not be using is very important and obviously are you okay has done a tremendous job in that field there's also a lot of misconception and misinformation that still prevails like we were discussing earlier Mm. but i'm an optimist that's good (laughs) yes i'm i'm forever the optimist so i i like to think that we can get to a point where we can openly have conversations about mental health, how it affects us, um, and we'll all be better for it as a society. So being an optimist, um, but also, as you mentioned, being a mother, what's your hope for the future and how do you think you'll educate your own daughter on mental health and how to talk about it? Yes, that's a very good question. My little girl is only four years old, but they say that the first five years are extremely important, obviously, Mm -hmm. in, I guess, a a child's behavior, and they're the formative years, cliche, but, (laughs) um, and one of the things that I do, and I also educate my husband on, is if if she's upset, I let her feel her emotions. Mm Mm-hmm. So if she's upset, I tell her that it's okay to be upset. Because sometimes the, re- the reaction from parents is stop crying or mm. don't cry or you've got no reason to be upset. Whereas I tend to encourage her. Now, it's very difficult with a four-year-old because mm. it's all it's both, it's extremes. So yeah. when they're upset, it's the, it's the end of the world, so to speak. Mm. And when they're angry, like that anger is palpable, like, it, mm. you know. So, and it's about 
letting them know that they can be angry, they can be upset, it's perfectly fine. And it's about allowing them to explain and giving them the skills to talk about how they're feeling. I think Mm -hmm. that's extremely important. And also letting her know that her mom and dad are always there for her. Mm -hmm. If something happens at school, she's still in daycare, but I'm still telling her if something happens at daycare, you tell me. Mm. I'm on your team. I'm there to help you. Mm -hmm. Because unfortunately... It's already on my mind, like the subject of bullying, like I'm already conscious of it and I don't want her to start school and experience things that could lead to, you know, feelings of isolation or Mm. so I make it a point of her knowing that I'm there to support her. Mm. And that's all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to, to say that, you know for your listeners out there like if anyone's recently lost someone to suicide or not so recently I would really like to say that you know you're not alone and I would encourage people to seek out support groups like I did I know Mm. that what works for someone might not work for everyone and I Mm. recognize that all I can say is that in my case it was extremely helpful yeah I think as well suicide really just highlights the fact that mental illness is not visible you don't know what someone's going through you can't see it yes you're right so the reality is that whilst I talked about picking up on the signs that's extremely important of course but sadly sometimes it's extremely hard to to pick up on those signs and that's that's why by staying connected with people around us, we can make them know that they are supported and that can make all the difference in the world. By knowing that they've got that support around them, maybe you can help them, you know. So Mm. that's why I like to say that are you okay is more than four letters. Mm. Like it's so much bigger than the sum of its parts. And I also like to say, you know, we say, oh, an image is worth a thousand words. Well, I say a conversation is priceless Mm. because it has the power to change someone's life.